Welcome to the Echo Oscar Delta podcast, where we talk to Navy EOD techs and hear the stories that they want to share. All ideas, thoughts, and statements are those of the guest and the host of Echo Oscar Delta, and not of Navy EOD or Navy as a whole. All right, today I have Bob Pizzini. He did 24 years in the Navy. Uh, retired 26, 26 years in the Navy. No, I appreciate it. Yep. That's my math. My math skills. They're, they're a little loose. Uh, <laughs> retired from EOD as a Lieutenant, uh, deployed all over Europe, all over Asia, uh, to Iraq and is now owner of I fly Virginia beach and an author of elevate your leadership with, uh, which just came out not too long ago, right? December of last year. Awesome. Um, so I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, this is cool. Hey, um, I appreciate being here. And from your very first episode, I I thought, man, this guy is on to something. This is really cool. And I've listened to every single episode, including uh, the one you just released a couple days ago uh, on a long cross country drive. But this is great. I love this podcast. And, and um, it's, it's so relatable for so many reasons for I would say just about everybody who's a Navy EOD tech. So thanks for doing what you're doing here. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I, uh, I have been enjoying it. So yeah, I can uh, tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess, uh, starting off, uh, how'd you find out about EOD? Yeah, I know you ask everybody that question. Yeah. And of course I wrote about it in my book. So I've got kind of, you know, a pretty well prepared response because <laughs> I, I tell it quite a bit, but quite simply as a kid, um, I grew up uh, watching the undersea world in Jacques Cousteau. Okay. And I was enamored with diving, you know, scuba diving. So at a very young age, I became a certified scuba diver. And I got a job at the local dive shop in Kenosha, Wisconsin, you know, grew up diving on Lake Michigan and all nice. the lakes around, around the Midwest. And, it, and I loved every bit of it. And then um, uh, in high school, I discovered this book called Navy Diver in the library at Tremper High School, you know, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. How would a book like that be on that library shelf, you know, in this little, little lunchbox town of 80,000 people? But, um, but I read the book, so now I knew what Navy diving was and what a Navy diver was, um, and I thought I wanted to be a commercial diver. Okay. I made a visit to the Gulf of Mexico my senior year of high school and decided it's best to go in the Navy yeah. and be a Navy <laughs> diver. So, so enlisted um, right out of high school, you know, the delayed entry program. And went to uh, boot camp back then. There was a boot camp in San Diego, which was awesome, uh, if boot camp can be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but I was in San Diego, you know. So I went to boot camp there. And back then, there was no guaranteed program. There was no signing bonus. You know, you go to boot camp, and that's where you take the PT test. Um, and if everything goes well, then you can... You can go to dive school. Well, I didn't know what a SEAL was, and I didn't know what EOD was. I just knew Navy diving. So it was a SEAL who gave us the test. And I did fine on the physical aspect, you know, uh, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, run, swim, all that. No problem. Then I went for my eye test, mm -hmm. and uh, whoever gave me the eye test said, uh, DQ'd, you know. Really? You, uh, you're, you, you can't be in the program. And I walked away from that eye test with tears in my eyes because yeah. the only reason I came in the Navy was to be a Navy diver. So then I go to the reclassification office. I add two years to my contract so I can get in this advanced electronics program. So now I'm up at Great Lakes going through A school and BWE and, you know, all the electronic stuff. And while I was at Great Lakes, I took the eye test again. And this corpsman says, 
your eyes are fine to, to be a Navy diver. So I walked away from that eye test with tears in my yeah. eyes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I went to the schoolhouse and I said, Hey, there's been a mistake. You know, I need to reclassify again, go back to Navy diver. They're like, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're on a six year advanced electronics contract. And, uh, you know, after six years, then you can think about that. And, you know, long story, well, it's already been long, but to shorten it real quick, I failed out of that school. And I got orders to second-class dive school nice. after that in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, on nice. top of that. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I was a second-class diver. I was assigned to the Naval Medical Research Institute in Bethesda, Maryland, which is a, it's a research facility. Basically, back then, all the physiological research was in Bethesda, and all the equipment research was EDU in Panama City. Okay. It's all combined now in Panama City, and the facility in Bethesda is closed, but... Um, while I was stationed in Bethesda, there was a Master Chief EOD tech, Dennis House Connect, who was stationed there as well. And I was just so impressed with this guy. And he talked about how EOD guys go to college and, you know, and he showed me pictures of some of the ops they were on. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. So it took me a while to get from uh, uh, a brand new second class diver to EOD school. I actually went to first class dive school. I was a first class diver for four years, the whole time knowing that ultimately I wanted to go EOD and you had to be an E5. Mm. So, uh, so I knew that, um, I would be able to apply one day and I did. Uh, so Mudsu, my, my first class diver tours were USS preserver, which was a salvage ship out of uh, little Creek and then mobile diving salvage unit two out of little Creek. And from Mudsu, I went to EOD school. Okay, nice. So, yeah, straight to uh, straight to Eglin, straight to EOD school, you know, skip, skip dive school. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounded like that might have been a uh, strategic failure. In, uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was, and, and they knew I did it. That's awesome. And I got my ass chewed like you would not believe. Hey, it's worth it at the end, though, right? <laughs> oh, totally. I, well, you know, I did some soul searching during that. Even though I was 18, 19 years old, I did some soul searching, and I was like, you know, my, now my eyes are good. Yeah. So I'm qualified. I can go. It's why I joined the Navy and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get to dive school. Yeah. And so I rolled the dice knowing that, you know, uh, if I failed out of that school, things might not go the way I wanted them to, but mm -hmm. you know, Lord willing, yeah, <laughs> uh, things worked out. That's great. Um, being a prior diver coming to EOD school back then, did did you have to go through all the diving stuff again? Um, how'd that process work? It's interesting because I didn't. I went straight to Eglin. This is when there was the 31 program. Okay. And so so the first phase of EOD school was Eglin, and that was your demo phase. And then you went up to Indian Head to complete, uh, you know, Navy EOD school to include Area 8. And um, uh, so I went straight to Eglin, and I had... 31, so we're 31, this is, you know, the 5331 program, EOD assistant was was active back then, which I thought was a great program, and so I had 31s in my class that down the road, they eventually, you know, went and did a 31 tour, came back, went to EOD school, and wound up being stationed with all these guys, so, um, so Eglin, okay. Indian Head, EOD Mobile Unit 8, man, Italy. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I've heard a lot more, you know, when I came in, I, I knew about the 31 program, but not really. And since doing the podcast, that sounds like it was a pretty good gig doing I, the 31. Yeah, I think it was. Um, I, I think the, uh, the Navy, 
The Navy instituted it for the right reasons. I don't know why they got rid of it. Maybe something to do with the rate or, you know, the um, uh, the rank structure. I'm not sure, but it was a great program. And a lot of good, you know, I've got um, a lot of friends who are, you know, retired Master Chiefs now, great EOD techs, but they came in through the 31 program. Yeah. Um, doing your deployments as EOD, so... You said you had a couple rounds for, as a diver deployments and then uh, EOD. How how different was was that? So it was very different for a variety of reasons. Um, it, 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 at, in the dive community, you know, as a first-class diver on a salvage ship, the ship deploys like any other ship deploys, right? So, but... We didn't do, like, the ship I was on, we didn't do, like, a Mediterranean cruise or, um, you know, anything like that. We just did Caribbean, you know. Um, we we did just kind of, like, small local stuff. I think probably the longest time we were underway was maybe two or three months okay. um, at a time. And, and you know, because the salvage ship basically just went around and did salvage jobs. Yeah. Airplane crashed, um, uh, barges and... And things like that. So, so the salvage ship, but, but we were ship's company. We were yeah. chipping and painting on the fantail like I was a freaking career bosun mate. Yeah. And, and I have to tell you, out of my 26 years, uh, yeah, you got, can't forget those last two, right? Yeah. So uh, out of those 26 years, um, the absolute worst two were the two years I was on that salvage ship. Yeah. And I know so many uh, first-class divers who say the best years of their career were when they were on that salvage ship really you know not the one i was on but yeah. other salvage ships you know and just the time frame that i was there the leadership that was on the ship you know i won't name names but it was back then i didn't know it because i was an e4 right. but the leadership was terrible oh. and uh when you have terrible leadership you know it's it, it, it I, I almost got out i was like yeah. wow this is what being a, a salvage diver is all about like I'm not interested in this. I mean, we, we didn't even dive that often, you know, we just maintained that ship and, uh, that was not what I signed up for. So then I transferred from there to mobile diving and salvage unit two. And now we're flying all over the place doing dive job after dive job after dive job. I was a, uh, uh, unlimited diving supervisor as an E5. And so I had my own dive team and that was awesome. I loved every single bit of that. Um, but it was from there that I wound up going to EOD school. So to answer your question, the difference, the, the diving community was not task organized to the way the EOD community was, you know, you have detachments. Now we have platoons, but back then it was the mobile unit and then detachments and regularly scheduled deployments, whether it was on, um, um, now what we call CSG or ESG, um, or, or some other type of deployment. So very, very different in deployment structure. That's all different now since since uh, Navy diving and the Mudsus fall under EOD. Right. And so so great evolution in the community in terms of that goes. I think they made the right moves for the right reason. And so now everybody is kind of task organized the same way mm-hmm. in terms of platoons and a pre-deployment training cycle and uh, your deployment. You know, it's it, it's all it's all the same. So back then, very different. And um when I came into EOD, that organization, that, that unit structure, that pre-deployment uh, phase, you know, and then, and then you go, you, you're certified as a team and, and you go um, do whatever the job was. That was very refreshing compared to the diving community. But again, yeah. it's the way it used to be. Right. 
diving community is awesome now. Yeah. Um, coming in and doing EOD, the train up and, and, and everything. What was it like back then? And did it, uh, um, well, I guess first, just what was it like back then? Sure. Well, so my first detachment, uh, EOD Mobile Unit 8, Detachment 4, it's kind of like your first girlfriend. Yeah. You know, it's, it's uh, even though you're not together anymore, it's just one you're never going to forget, you know? <laughs> right. And uh, and I loved that detachment. So MCM detachment, right? So mine countermeasures or what we call massive cargo movers. Yeah. <laughs> and um, But it, it, we were diving, and diving was my thing, you know? So I, obviously I was a dive supervisor on the on the uh, detachment almost immediately, if not immediately. And, um, we were doing exercises mainly, but all over, uh, Eastern and Western Europe. And, um, the, everybody on my team was great at their job. You know, it is really massive cargo movers, load and unload that gear and prepare it for transit. You know, your dash twos and, and all that stuff you have to do, but everybody on our team carried their load. Um, we didn't all get along all the time. You know, I've heard everybody who's been on this podcast talk about the love hate relationship yep. in the team. And I, it's, it's so refreshing to hear. Cause it's like, okay, it wasn't just me. Yeah, right. <laughs> It wasn't me. So no, but, um, but I'm still in, in touch with everybody from that team. Um, and, uh, but most guys are local, but, um, that was awesome. We were, we had a very clearly defined mission traveling around Europe, doing diving operations, mainly MCM, mainly exercises, but we're looking for, you know, Mark 52s or Mark sixes or whatever, uh, everything. Um, um, I can't even think of the, the most modern minds that were in Iraq right now, but, uh, but anyway, yeah. we were, we were, we were doing all those exercises, all this demo, and it was literally living the dream. And that's without parachuting. Yeah. You know, we did hearse cast, but not a lot of jumping um, uh, in and around Europe back then. But it was awesome. Did you still get uh, uh, static line qualified? I didn't okay. um, until um, I when I left Italy. I went back to dive school as an instructor, EOD dive school instructor, and. It was there that I got static line qualified. Gotcha. Um, so at Mobile Unit 8, uh, did you do, oh my goodness, it's worse. Yeah. Um, did you do uh, multiple MCM teams or were you able to get a variety of teams out of there? So with me, I did uh, an MCM team for about a year and a half, maybe two years. And then uh, because I was a first class diver, they put me in the dive locker. But we didn't really have a dive locker, so gotcha. I built the dive locker. Oh, cool. And that was awesome because literally, you know, order the air compressor, order the um, the storage the storage bank, all the piping to connect it all, put it all together, charging stations, and yeah. and then uh, just all the, you know, all the dive locker responsibilities that, uh, that we see today. So that was fun. It was awesome to put that together. And then... While I was in the dive locker, there was a F-16 crash in the northern Adriatic. Okay. And um, there was uh, the USS Edenton, which was a, uh, a mixed gas rescue and salvage ship, was in the area, in the, in the Mediterranean. They were tasked with the recovery. Um, based on the depth, uh, they requested EOD to come out with Mark 16. Okay. And... I was lucky enough to go and supervise the diving operations on that. And, cool. that. and that was really cool because, I don't know, 120 feet, 130 feet, whatever it was. And um, I'm diving the Mark 21, 
with uh, the two alpha, you know, wearing yeah. a two alpha headset in the Mark 21 and, and, you know, on the bottom and you're pinging, 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 you're going, that's probably the ship's anchor. That's probably the other ship's anchor. That's probably aircraft wreckage, you know? That's so, cool. That was fun. How, what was it like having, uh, uh, I'm assuming a lot of working two alphas. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I was not like, there were so many guys who were so good at operating the two alpha yeah. and, and I'm not one of them, sure. but like Greg Natividad, who's since retired, that guy was incredible. He's like, that's a soup can. That's, that's the lid from a soup can. <laughs> oh, that's mine. You know? That's how good he was. But the 2-Alpha, I'm surprised we got rid of it. Yeah. It was such a valuable tool. And active or passive mode, right? So a lot of times during exercises, pingers are put on mines. So to just go recover training aids, you know, you go right to it. It's pinging. You go, boom, it's right here. Uh, just a very, very useful tool. Yeah. Yeah, I actually really liked uh, when I came through, they had, um, we had a few of those in underwater and, I like those, and then uh, on my first team, we got to use use those a little bit before they started breaking and then not being replaced. Yeah, um, okay. Did the system that replace it, is that any good? Have you used it? I mean, we went from the the 2-Alpha the to the UIS to now the, the Shark Marine. Now it's it, there's no... There's nothing like the two alpha, no just sound. Now yeah, it's okay. All the, the picture stuff. Yeah, too, big, so. big thing, big yeah. machine to operate. Exactly. Two alpha was lightweight and highly portable, you yeah. know? Yeah, it was cool. And, and you just, you just, for a little while, anyways, you felt cool with the, with the earmuffs on underwater and your little radar gun looking thing, you know? Yeah. It was, it's cool. It's cool. That's, EO, that's Navy EOD, man. <laughs> exactly. That's like, it's in the, literally in the recruiting posters. Yeah. <laughs> then, uh, uh, Going to Guam for the next uh, sea tour. Yeah. Um, how was, obviously Guam's very different location than, than the Med, but how was that? So Guam was awesome. I was there for five years, <clears throat> but a lot of things happened while I was there. So yeah. like, you know, career milestones. So let's, let's go back a little bit to Panama City. I was an instructor um, coming towards the end of my tour, knew I wanted to go to Guam. Okay. Um, or back to Mobile Unit 8. Yeah. You know, I just, I love the overseas experience and everything that comes with it. The detailer wanted to send me to to Little Creek, to Mobile Unit 2. Gotcha. And, um, or to San Diego, Mobile Unit 3. So, hey, he gave me a couple choices there, you know, Mobile Unit 3, San Diego, Mobile Unit 2, Little Creek. And I was like, well, what about Mobile Unit 5? I mean, overseas, come on, you gotta be, that's gotta be a tough fill, you know? Yeah. And there was another chief uh, at the dive school. He just wanted to go to San Diego, Mobile Unit 3. And the detail is telling him, no, I got to send you to Guam, man. You got to go to Mobile Unit 5. <laughs> so anyway, we got that deconflicted. Nice. And uh, and I went out to Guam, and it was awesome. I went out there as a chief. Um, I got a mobile detachment as soon as I was there. We did a shipboard tour. We did the Kitty Hawk, cruised on the Kitty Hawk. Um, you know, and those are, you're pulling into a port every couple of weeks. It's not like, you know, some some big crazy underway. Um, my whole team got our air warfare when we were on the Kitty Hawk, nice. myself included, even though, um, you know, I already had surface warfare and I was already selected for LDO. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, but my whole team, we did the, uh, did the uh, air warfare and that was cool. It was fun, yeah. you know, and it was EOD dudes being EOD dudes, just getting after whatever was there. Yeah. So that was fun. Um, but I knew I was uh, going to commission. 
uh, a few months down the road. And uh, that was kind of funny too, because I wasn't, uh, I was at Mobile, I was at Mobile at five in Guam for maybe a month, two months, something like that. Our team was fepping out, getting ready for deployment. And uh, do they still call it a FEP, by the way? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's still called a FEP. Okay. You do an FTX, which is your FEP. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, so we were going through that process and uh, we get called up to the commanding officer's office, myself and my OIC, brand new OIC. We get called up to the commanding officer's office towards the end of a training day. And, uh, you know, it was like a sense of urgency, like, hey, you guys got to get up and see the skipper now. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so I looked at my team and I was like, all right, who did what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> what are we going up there for? And they're like, wow, we don't know, chief. It's, you know, <laughs> everything's good. And it was a great team. That debt was a great team as well. And uh, so we go up there and um, uh, Jeff Trumbor, Commander Trumbor was the skipper at the time. And he's like, I can't believe this. He goes, you guys... And he's looking at me. He's chief. You guys just get here. And what's going on? We're like, what do you mean what's going on? He's like, chief, he said, you're leaving. I was like, what do you mean I'm leaving? He's like, congratulations, Ensign. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) So typical EOD stuff, right? You know, going to really mess with you a little bit. But that was cool. So, but we still had the deployment to do. I mean, I wasn't leaving for like another six months or so. So we went ahead and did the Kitty Hawk deployment. And uh, got back from that, and at some point, I went to knife and fork school, Pensacola, yeah. and that was a little bit controversial because uh, we PCS to Guam, my wife and I, and you know we were there for like ten months or so. By the time I was rotating back for knife and fork school, and typically when you make warrant or LDO, you, that you you PCS to a different command. Right. Well, we just got our household set up overseas, and I just wanted to come back to Guam. Yeah. You know, I didn't care what job you gave me. Just, um, you know, it's that way my wife can stay here while I'm in knife and fork school, and I'll come back three months later or whatever the deal was. Yeah. So, you know, worked with the detailer on that, and thankfully he worked with me and made that happen. And But some other people were unhappy about that for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I wound up doing five years in Guam. So okay. I did about a year as a chief on debt one, and... Came back and I was the OIC of what we used to call a SIF detachment back then, right? Commanders in Extremist Force. Mm -hmm. And then um, uh, from there I went up to Ops and I was the Assistant Ops and then I was the Ops Officer for I think my last year and a half or so in Guam. So excellent tour, whether I was a chief on on my debt doing the carrier or I was the OIC of my SIF team or I was Ops. You know, you were in Guam, and yep. we were all over the place, man. We were yeah. all over Asia for anything and everything, and yeah. emergency response, exercise planning, deployments, yep. just an awesome tour. That, that's something I think uh, guys who have spent a lot of time stateside don't understand, you know, because right now, especially with, with things the way they are, you're very few guys are getting bumped from team to team right before deployment, you know, and just like going out constantly so you're doing your your full workup and then you do your deployment and then you do another full workup and and uh over there inside of your full workup you may be going to two or three different countries and then exactly. you deploy and then you come back and they're like hey we're gonna keep you together for a little bit because we need you to do something else and then and then uh you know you just say we we always want everything that we want right so we want to be at home in the states and you know living our our cush life but also being able to do all the cool things that we want to do but guam and and uh 
and eight have that little bit different structure that allow you to be able to inside of workups just go all go the do time. yeah go do a demo go do a real life demo job yeah. you know some world because Guam World War II stuff is all over the place yep and debt Marianas you know that's and then there was an Air Force debt up at Anderson Air Force Base mm-hmm. but they're always looking for help on a demo job or yep. or if you're a younger newer guy and just want to get some some good experience you know yeah. we would send when I was the ops officer we would send people out on things like that to get the new guys some experience you know what hey hey uh, debt six we need one body mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna take them for two weeks and you know he's gonna go here there whatever so yeah yeah, all that stuff and then just you know traveling around europe um you know i mean there's thailand and singapore and you know back then hong kong was it was still chinese controlled but just not as overtly as it is now but um and and all the little islands around there you know palau and saipan and tinian and uh we did exercises and or real world responses all over the place I didn't know this until I came back from uh, Guam, but I had, uh, it's like a, he was my mom's uncle and I'd met him a bunch of times and talked to him. I had no idea he was even in the military. Well, after his, after he passed, um, was talking to his son when I was going through chief season and I learned a bunch and man, I, I wish I would have known and then asked questions, but he was on, uh, was it he was on Tinian watching Saipan get bombed in, wow. in World War II. Yeah. Wow. Just, I'm like, man, a missed opportunity. Yeah. I, granted, I, I, I had no idea. Yeah. But just, yeah, there's some, there's some crazy history. Being For sure. There, which is pretty cool. Did you too. make it out there to uh, Tinian especially? Uh, I, I went to Saipan, but okay. I, I never made it to Tinian. Okay. Where the, uh, where the bomb pits are on the runway where they loaded the Enola Gay. Yeah. So just incredible, incredible history out there. And yeah. still there's, you know, the way they do it out there is they, there's a local guy who kind of collects all the ordnance. Like people find ordnance all the time. And, and so this guy kind of puts it in a collection holding area and then EOD goes out there, you know, three, four times a year and spanks it all. So yeah. just, just a, a really cool, a really cool experience overall and like you said the history is really tapped into it you know any place you go there you see the history i mean you see tanks still sitting there yep you know in in it's either saipan or tinian you know like four feet of water there's a tank you know partially submerged that's been there since world war ii yeah <laughs> how was going from you know being chief of a team to now you're going back as the oic yeah. So, you know, like everything, there's a learning curve, yeah. right? And like everything, like like every EOD tech I know, we think we know everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and we always do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you walk into a, a job or a position and you're like, hey, I got this, you know, be some changes around here. We're going to start doing it this way. I got this. And uh, so, and um, with that SIFDET, you know, we deployed with, with an army unit. Mm-hmm. And so we get out to the army unit and, you know, I'm Ensign Pizzini yeah. and they think I'm some dumbass junior boy, you yep. know? <laughs> and so the army guys are kind of giving me a hard time a little bit. And, uh, uh, but, but overall it was fun. I just had to, you know, I, it, it, you hear it all the time, right? When you go from E6 to chief, there's a, there's a change. There's yeah. a career change. When you go from chief to Ensign, you know, you gotta, 
you got to step up. You got to be an ensign. You're not a chief anymore. Right. And it just took me a while to realize that, you know, I yeah. mean, I love being a chief. I love everything about being a chief. And, um, and it took me a while to, you know, and they gave me, uh, as part of my commissioning, they gave me the brain, brain housing group removal kit, you know, <laughs> they spray painted my anchors blue and drilled holes in them. You know, they're like, Hey, motherfuckers, you're not a chief anymore. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> it just took me a while to get it. Yeah. So, but once I got it, um, then, then uh, I was able to hone in on, you know, make sh- making sure I was doing things for the good of the detachment, not so much at the technical level, but at the administrative level, meaning, you know, hey, funding, we have to be properly funded to, to do our job. When I was, when I went from Guam to OIC of, uh, uh, debt banger up in Washington okay. state. So nuke, nuke debt. Right. And I didn't, I didn't know anything. I mean, I went through nuke school and EOD school, but I, I don't think I really spent much time thinking about nuke since then, other than for my master board. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm the OIC of a nuke debt. And, um, but by then I had learned my job was to make sure that, uh, the team, you know, man, train, equip, right? So make, making sure, and I've had long discussions with the detailer, hey, I've got a nuclear response mission here, and my AMD says I need to have six people. You know, you can't tell me I'm good with four. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, just all those. And then funding. Um, you know, our, our detachment was ridiculously underfunded, and, you know, I went up, my, my, um, my OPCON, my operational commander was the base commander. So I went to the base commander and said, here's my rock and po. How do you, how do you expect me or how can I expect my team to fulfill all these missions in the rock and po when we really don't even have adequate funding? You know, we don't even, we're not even a line item. He goes, well, let's take a look at that. And he looked at the master funding list, you know, under Navy installations and all that. And he's like, yeah, you're right. You're not a line item. He goes, that's your starting point right there. <laughs> Become a line item. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I spent most of that tour um, and then trying to get our facilities renovated. You know, we needed uh, proper facilities within that detachment. And, uh, you know, I just did what all the guys before me did. You, you go there and you try and make it better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the time... By the time the fruits of your labor occur, you know, you've been, you've transferred a year ago, <laughs> yep. you know, it's like you go back there two years later and you go, oh yeah, man, I, I, I worked on that. Yeah. So, but, uh, so it was, there was a learning curve, you know, to answer your question, there was a learning curve and, um, I'm sure there's plenty of guys out there who would tell you that, that I did pretty well. And there's plenty of guys out there who would tell you that, uh, yeah, yeah, he's still going through the learning curve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's true with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's always somebody to be on the opposite side of the argument. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so actually, backing up a little bit, uh, so your, your first EOD shore duty was dive school. Yeah, yeah, yep. Did you, were you purposely trying to go to dive school because you like diving, or did that just happen? I wanted to go there okay. big time. Um, I was a firm believer. It, you know, I went through second-class dive school, first-class dive school, EOD school. Um, and so that whole schoolhouse experience, I loved it because 
I was learning, you know, there was leaders who were leading, you know, I love it when, you know, the, the, the training team chief comes in the classroom and he turns the light switch off, right? What does that mean? Everybody get down and start pumping them out, you know? (laughs) And, uh, but that team building and, and, and the technical stuff that you're learning, I just loved the way Navy diving and Navy EOD runs their schoolhouses. And so I always wanted to, you know, kind of pay it forward or, you know, go do my part and um, contribute to that to that training environment. So I wanted to go to Panama City bad. And 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 it's funny because I wanted to go back to Panama City. Yeah. And when I left Guam, the detailer is like originally he said I can go to Det Cecil, which is Florida, close enough. And then he's like, sorry, somebody I just gave somebody else those orders. You can go to you can go to the pep billet in the United Kingdom. Okay. Or you can go to uh, Debt Banger in Washington State. And my wife was six months pregnant with twins. Mm. I'm not going to go from Guam to the UK. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah. it would have been a cool tour, and I would have done it otherwise. But yeah. but I wasn't doing that. So Washington State. So, But, yeah, I wanted to go there uh, to Panama City. And the way it was then, and it's probably the same now, you have specialized diving division. So uh, Marine Combat Diver and Navy EOD were kind of like one division. Okay. Uh, and it, it was, again, just, you meet great people, you learn, you know, and, and as an instructor, I learned way more about Navy diving than I taught. Yeah. You know, I thought I knew it all going there, <laughs> like everything else. And, uh, man, there was just so much to learn and that was a great tour. The other thing that's awesome about being an instructor is then when you go back to an operational unit, in my case, like when I went to Guam, there were, I think, three guys on my detachment that I put through dive school. Okay. So you already know them. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that you already, you already had this high level of trust, you know, and this mm-hmm. excitement to work with each other. And um, what else happened at dive school? There was, uh, um, that's where I made chief. Okay. So, you know, back then we called it initiation. Yeah. And that's a pretty good place to go through initiation. Yeah. Bunch of master divers, you know, putting me through the process, if you will. Taking special, special interest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so for so many reasons. And then, and I, something I wrote about in my book, I, I screwed something up when I was in Panama City that really could have negatively impacted my career. But I had a CEO at the time who uh, was willing to kind of, stick his neck out okay. to save my career rather than kill my career. Gotcha. And man, that was a lesson in leadership that I will never forget. You know, this guy went to bat for me and it's like, wow. Um, and that's, I made, I made LDO out of that tour. Yeah. So, you know, with his endorsement, obviously. So just so many things about that. Um, and I always wanted to get back there, but just never worked out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You talked about, uh, kind of the, the team aspect and that's one thing that's kind of seems like it's a, a big part of you um and i'm sure it's carried over to kind of, kind of what you're doing now but um you know on the on the chief side and then the the ldo and the oic side of things um where did that fit in to like your every day i'm coming to the job and, and then the team aspect of it so again, that, that took me a little bit of of uh, time to kind of figure that out because you know I can't be P one anymore. Right. You know, um, I wanted to be the tool guy. I'm happy to be the tool guy. Yeah. You know, but that's just not really your job. My job is to communicate with everybody else. You know, in the chain of command and let the chief report to me. Um, but um, 
but but ultimately you know ultimately I, I appreciate every experience I had and every lesson I learned you know if I could go back and do it all again I would I would try and be better yeah but um but you learn you know you learn and, and that's that's somebody who uh, I've got a lot of respect for uh, referred to me as a learning machine. Yeah. And I've never heard that term before. And when he said that, you know, I was humbled, obviously. But what I realized is in Navy EOD, we are generally learning machines, right? We're going to learn it. We're going to learn it quickly, mm -hmm. uh, especially complex things. Yeah. We're going to learn them. We're going to learn them quickly. And in my case, I only know it for as long as I need to know it. Yeah. <laughs> perishable skills, right? Absolutely. Everything is perishable in what we do. And it's like, okay, that's a 50 meter target. I'll, I'll relearn that shit another day, yeah. but I got this three meter target that I've got to study up on right now. Right. So, um, so that, that, that methodology of learning, you know, when in doubt, Charlie out. Yeah. <laughs> That, that methodology, methodology of learning has served me very well, you know, while I was in the Navy and it helped me, um, it helped me transition to what I'm doing now for, for a couple of reasons. One is, um, at some point, you know, I developed great confidence. Yeah. It's like, if I can make it through Navy EOD school, dude, I, there's a lot I can do. I mean, I can't lay tiles straight on a floor, you know, <laughs> Yeah. but man, I made it through nukes. Yeah. <laughs> So, so if I can do that, you know, and really, I think one of the things that we're all good at is we can kind of zoom out, see the big picture and say, okay, I'm going to need a bunch of these for that and a bunch of those for this mm -hmm. and execute. Yeah. Uh, a couple, a couple things that you highlighted about, you know, just things that made kind of an impact or, or good, uh, notable portions of your career, um, two, two things, one of them, which I did years later as well, but participated in Cobra Gold. Um, <laughs> sounds like uh, with with that tone of laugh, <laughs> but there's some stories that instantly pop into your mind. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, there's classified and unclassified, uh, of right? Of course, of course. <laughs> but on the unclass side, th this kind of addresses one of your other questions too, because Cobra Gold actually for me was a lot of professional growth. You know, if, if, if people believe you can do that when you're in Thailand for three months, yeah. you know, on full per diem. <laughs> but, um, a couple of things happen, uh, you know, regarding Cobra Gold and, you know, those deployments, if you can even call those deployments. Right. Um, so at the time when uh, I had just become the operations officer, uh, and this is, this is post 9-11, so this is probably like 2002, maybe 2003, um, and Cobra Gold was an annual exercise, Mobile Unit 5 does it every year, usually one or two detachments, mm -hmm. tops. And uh, we had an 1140 uh, who was assigned to CTF 76, so Commander Task Force 76 in Japan. He was on the staff there, basically. CTF 76 was our... Uh, operational reporting commander, right? right? That's who EOD Mobile Unit 5 worked for. So they get this, uh, they get this uh, new EOD staff officer on the, on the staff there, Mark Sanders is his name, and he calls up and he's like, hey, um, I'm, I'm kind of overseeing you guys for Cobra Gold, for the planning for Cobra Gold. He's like, he's like, Bob, are you coming out to the planning conference? And I was like, no, I was going to send somebody. And he's like, I think you should come out for the planning conference. Yeah. I was like, cool. So I went out for the initial planning conference. You know, there's an initial, a mid, and a final. Three planning conferences and then the exercise, mm -hmm. right? So you go to Thailand like four times a year. And um, so I go out there for the initial, and I'm kind of expecting the, 
you know, it's kind of the good time and, you know, everything's templated and we're just going to, you know, populate the templates with the modern names and numbers and, and go on, go on with, uh, with the exercise. And, and Mark was like, he's like, eh, he goes, man, two debts. He goes, why don't you bring the whole mobile unit? And wow. th- this is before we were doing war zone deployments. Yeah. He's like, why don't you bring the whole mobile unit? And I was like, the whole mobile unit. I go, man, mobile units don't deploy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mobile units, duh, right? I was like, mobile units don't deploy. And he goes, well, they should. And he's like, and I can resource you based on my position here. I can give you whatever you need to deploy the whole mobile unit. Wow. So I was like, wow, that's cool. So now my thinking totally changed. Yeah. Now I'm like, all right, I got to, first of all, I got to go back and sell this to the commanding officer. And, um, and then, you know, figure out what availability we have to deploy the whole mobile unit. Cause we got guys out on, you know, carrier crews and, and uh, doing other things, but that's what we did. We, uh, you know, did all the planning conferences and deployed the whole mobile unit. And when I say deployed the whole mobile unit, I mean, we did, we did air ops, like they've never done air ops before. Really? We did, we got 25 American jumpers and 25 tie jumpers on a joint jump that it took, a full day just to do the brief, you know, with translators and everything full day to do the brief. And then, Oh, so some, some, some little funny stories in the weeds there. So that year of Cobra gold, um, first year we deployed the whole mobile unit. Uh, there's this pool of translators, right? So we, we, our translator happened to be this very cute young Thai girl and very professional, you know, and, uh, but everybody was like, her name was Angie. Everybody's like, Ooh, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Hey, stay away, <laughs> exactly. stay away. She's, she's working. <laughs> and, um, so she translates the whole jump brief, right? We're there with, uh, 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 Thai Marine and, uh, Thai seals. And we're all going to do this big jump static line. Static line wraps and free fall. We did wraps back then, which was a square parachute with a static line, basically. Okay, yeah. So so we're going to do all these phases of jumping, various altitudes, various drop zones, water drop, you know. So so it was like it, the whole week was dedicated to um, integrated air operations. So we get through with the brief. Lieutenant Soat was my Thai counterpart, Marine, and, you know, what you would expect from a Thai Marine. The guy's lean, mean, kickboxing, you know, uh, Muay Thai, just a badass. Yeah. Like, you know, and he probably weighed 150 pounds, <laughs> but the dude was a badass. So we finished the brief, and Angie comes up to me, and she said, she called me Captain Bob. <laughs> She's, she said, uh, Captain Bob, um, I'm going to jump with you tomorrow. And I was like, silly little girl. Yeah. This is men's work, you know? <laughs> Um, so she goes over to Lieutenant Soat and starts wrapping a bunch of tie. Lieutenant Soat comes over and he says, Bob, Angie will jump with us tomorrow. She was a Thai Marine. Oh, no kidding. She was a rigger in the, in the Royal Thai Marines and she worked for Lieutenant Soat. So <laughs> why did you start with that? <laughs> but she got out, you know, and now she's doing a contract to translate this whole thing. So, um, so that was cool, man. So That's yeah. Awesome. So, you know, Marine Corps C-130, the other part of that is Marine Corps C-130 and, uh, Kenny Norman, uh, yeah. senior chief retired, but you know, one of my best friends and one of the best DOD operators really I've ever, I've ever worked with, yeah. but Kenny's the free fall jump master. He briefs the whole thing. So we had like, 
I don't know, 22 tie jumpers at the jump brief. And then the next day when we're, um, when we're gearing up and getting ready to go, there's like 30 tie jumpers <laughs> <laughs> sitting on the tarmac. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So Kenny goes and briefs the Marine Corps pilots, you know, and then comes back out and there's this conflict and the Marine Corps was, they were like, nah, we're not doing this. And anyway, Kenny saved the day and we were able to get the jump off. But nice. just one of the, one of the very cool things uh, that we did while we were there. And we did MCM when we were there. We did jungle warfare and, you know, monkeys stole our equipment. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Everything you can experience. Cobras, you know, we did the the icebreakers where you cut the head off the cobra yeah. and drink a little blood. Yeah. So. <laughs> that, that's pretty cool. That's that's insane to plan basically the whole mole unit, though. Like, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and part of that, right? So they have the MSCs out there, Military Sealift Command. Yeah. The, um, the pre-deployment war reserve ships and all that. So, you know, and those things are, they're looking for a reason to to pull anchor and cruise around. Yeah. So, um, we wound up bringing, we, we went to DRMO on Guam and got like three or four wrecked vehicles, including an old ambulance, Mm. put all that plus all our boats and all our equipment. We put it on that MSC and shipped it over. And, um, so we were doing VBIEDs, you know, that's awesome. And, uh, in the, uh, at this demo range that was kind of like on the edge of a jungle and we had a bit of a fire there we weren't expecting and that was another one of those one of those where i thought oh i just ended my career yeah you know and then the then the tie guy comes over and he's like no big deal it'll burn out (laughs) (laughs) i uh i will wait to share the full story but yeah i also may have started a little bit of a fire at one point in thailand and the base co we me and the guys i was with were taking uh the most alive branches off of trees and using that to try and quelch the fire yeah and about an hour later finally the base co drove up in a big old water truck and put it out for us thailand's a good time for lots of different reasons yeah 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 (laughs) no lots of reasons and we we were from the north to the south you know karat up in the north um, Koh Samoy, uh, down in the South. And then, and then, you know, exercise aside down in Patiani, that's where I think it was J.I. Jamal Islamia was starting to act yeah. up. So, uh, we were supporting, you know, CT operations all the way down there, kind of towards the end of my tour. That's awesome. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of great memories and, um, you know, on duty and off duty and, uh, uh, just, you know, it's great when you can just take your demo and all your equipment and just use it the way you're supposed to use right, it. So right. Just go blow shit up. Yep. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's great. Um, so let's see, you went there and then uh, where'd you go? Where, what mobile unit were you at or where were you when you deployed to Iraq? So, um, I was one of those dreaded IAs. Oh. <laughs> so, so did the, uh, nuke debt up in Washington state and tr- from there transferred to two, two, okay. training unit two. And that was kind of interesting because the detailer at the time, he said, he, he said, pick your coast, pick your unit. You can go to uh, group one or training unit one, group two or training unit two. Okay. By this time, uh, commander Sanders, Mark Sanders, who, you know, helped us out in Thailand, he was the commanding officer of training unit one and somebody who I would, I wanted to work for, you know, this guy, he's just a dynamic leader and 
more on him now and the things he's doing. But he was, and I was like, man, I really want to go to San Diego and go to two one and work for Mark Sanders. So my wife and I did a little house hunting in San Diego, and this was uh, 2005, I think, maybe early 2006, something like that. But it's when this housing bubble was getting ready to burst. Oh, yeah. So we go to San Diego, and we're looking at these million-dollar houses that I know we can't afford. Yeah. And the real estate agent's going, no problem. We got an 80-20 <laughs> loan. You, you can afford this. And my wife and I looked at each other. We're like, no, we can't. Yeah. That ain't happening. And then... But here's the pivotal moment. So on that house hunting thing, I was in a rental car. And I stop at the gas station, and I swipe my credit card to fill the car with gas. And the state of California charges me like a buck fifty or two bucks as a convenience fee to use my credit card at a gas station. Yeah. I was like, bullshit. We're going to Virginia, you know. And fast forward 20 years, that's probably a good decision. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so then I went to uh, training unit two. Uh, Tom Smith was a skipper at the time. And, um, and, and this was another, just, you know, all these things just kind of line up and work out really well. Tom was the commanding officer at training unit two, and he's got a business mind like you would not believe. And he's very strategic in his approach to the business of military, you know, the gotcha. kind of things he was like, he, he reads Harvard business review. You know, I, I didn't even know what that was. And he's yeah. like, Oh, you should read it. And you know, now I've been reading it for 15 years. But when I got to the training unit, he assigned me to facilities. I was the N4 Ooh. and I was like, man, I'm not, even, I didn't even get here yet. Who did I piss off? Right. You know, <laughs> why, why am I getting that job? And, uh, but you know, he's like, he's like, Hey Bob, we have neglected facilities forever and it's time to put somebody in there who can do something about this and and you know we owe it to to the eod community to really build state-of-the-art training facilities um not just for today but for the future and he's like so we have to focus effort on that he's like so here's your marching orders go and that was awesome um you know i started like uh Back then, there was a big land grab on Fort Story. Damneck was coming over and scooping up all the land and, you know, building a lot of the things that, that are there now. Yeah. So then I started scooping up land, nice. you know, and we kind of had a bit of an advantage since we had a pretty big footprint on yeah. Fort Story. <laughs> so I started scooping up land. And then one day, Captain Smith calls me to his office and uh, there's a commander facilities guy from Damneck, you know, who, who wants to have a discussion. <laughs> And, uh, he, he's, uh, uh, he, he's a, he was a Congressman. He was department of interior. Ryan Zinke is okay. his name. And, um, so, he, you know, basically he said, Hey, we should probably work together on, you know, taking ownership of this land and developing, um, training venues that's going to benefit everybody. Yeah. And it was, it was a great proposal, you know, and, and, uh, so we kind of got things figured out and put all, you know, there's Milcon, there's sustainment, repair, renovation. There's all these different ways to do things. And I didn't know any of this when yeah. I got there, you know? So I just started reading the manual, you know? And it's like, well, if you want this, you got to do this. And I was like, well, okay, I can do that, yeah. you know? So you just started, I just started putting all this stuff together and writing all the required documents, pointing out the shortfalls, you know, all these justification codes, you know, you got to have an office that's 20 by 20 and you got to have, you know, four square feet for a coffee machine and... <laughs> All of this crazy stuff that's uh, that's in these manuals on how you get things built in the military, but so it was a learning experience. But but it taught me 
to, you know, to just to dive into unknown territory, full speed ahead, knowing you've got the support of your commander behind you, you know, or, or yeah. uh, Captain Smith, Tom Smith in this case. And he's like, you know, call me when you need me. He said, but, but I want you to run. I want you to go. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was a, that was an excellent tour. Um, we, we did a lot of good stuff there and really advanced training for, you know, for uh, the mobile units coming through. And then um, I, I really wanted to go on an IA. The only way I was going to get a deployment to the war zone was an IA. Yeah. You know, at that point in my career, the chances of going back to a mobile unit and picking up a team were... I, I could have fought for that, but this IA was like low fruit. It's yeah. like, you know, we've got to fill in Iraq and I didn't care what, I didn't care what I was going to do. You know, I just wanted to go support, uh, the mission. Yeah. So from training unit two, I got a IA. I went to Jasotif, um, Balad and Balad, Iraq. I showed up to the Jasotif, the guy who was there before me, um, I didn't, I didn't really get a chance to talk to him too much before I got there. But once I got there, he's like, oh, yeah, man, they, I was on this ODA and that ODA. He's like, they sent me all over the place. So I was like, awesome. So I check in. You know, I set up my little staff desk in the, uh, in the uh, office spaces of the uh, Joint Special Operations Task Force. And the, the, um, actually, it was a sergeant major. Yeah. You know, he comes down. He's like, hey, lieutenant. He goes, Navy EOD? I go, yeah. He goes, you got all that kit you guys, did you bring all that kit you guys have? I go, yeah, there's my like five gear bags right there. He's like, okay, I'm sending you here. <laughs> and uh, so, nice. yeah, so he sent me to an ODA. So I spent pretty much, I was there for eight months and the vast majority of that was on um, on an ODA. And towards the south, uh, Basra area, Amara specifically, and that it was called a JSS, a joint security station, and we were, we were building an Iraqi police force okay. uh, while conducting missions. And I was there when it was the transition from American-led missions to I Iraqi-led missions. Yeah. What's ironic about that is I was the only EOD guy on the team. I mean, they had their their um, their demo guy, 18 Delta, I forget what it is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but but I was, I was the only, like, true EOD guy. So, and, you know, having the SIF experience and the, you know, in, the, in my background and all that stuff, it was no problem going out and flowing and clearing and, and, you know, addressing some IEDs here and there on the missions. But after a point when the Iraqis had to lead the missions, then the leadership of, of the uh, organization I was with, they were less interested in, in escorting Iraqis or, or taking the back seat. Yeah. Because when it came to caches and builders, uh, we were still the lead on that mission. So I was always trying, because we had all this information on, you know, where stuff was coming from. Mm -hmm. And I was always trying to feed that intel into the team leaders and say, hey, let's go take down these targets. And they're like, nah, we, we got HVIs. We're going for HVIs. <laughs> and then when the dynamic changed where I lack his head to read, they're like, hey, Lieutenant, what what was that, uh, you know, what was that, what was that weapons <laughs> cache you were talking about, you know? And so, That's so funny. yeah, like the next three missions were purely, you know, go find, uh, go find weapon caches and supply routes and, you know, shut those things down. Yeah. So that was a, that was an excellent tour again. And the other thing is, um, I had a lot of freedom of movement. So if I said I needed to go to Baghdad for two or three days, they're like, all right, man, we'll get you C-130, you know? And that's cool. Yeah. Two in the morning, nods landing, C-130 comes in, you know? Um, and, uh, and so I'd go up to Baghdad just for like, 
maybe three or four or five days at a time. I'd go, I go to Balad or Baghdad, but the intent was to inter, in, uh, interact with sexy okay, and, yeah. and the other EOD elements just to really keep myself informed and see if they needed me for anything, Yeah, you know? So, so having that freedom of movement was really awesome. And, um, you know, wound up spending Christmas with a whole bunch of EOD dudes at legacy EOD dudes in yeah. Baghdad. So rooster, you know, master chief Redding and commander That's Mark awesome. Sanders yeah. and, Tom Reynolds was there and uh, just a whole bunch of dudes. It was really fun. Jeff Walker, uh, retired Commander Jeff Walker. So, yeah, there we all are at uh, Um Kassar. No, no, the, uh, what was the palace? I forget, but whatever palace in Baghdad, you yeah. know, where they're having Christmas dinner. That's awesome. Fun. I think that uh, <clears throat> that IA setup is is awesome because it, uh, it gave a way for especially uh, – personnel in areas that don't have a lot of people who've deployed to combat areas a chance to go in and and get maybe you can't get a whole team because your your deployment is something else or you know but if you can sprinkle in guys here and there that have a combat overseas deployment and they can come back and spread what what that is to help keep people up um that that's awesome plus yeah, huge huge the other thing is like again like any navy eod tech when i got there i was like okay how can i bring the most value mm -hmm. to whoever you know I, I, you know if you guys need me to go cut plywood and you know help build something i'll i'll cut plywood and build something yeah. you know in my case measure three times <laughs> and cut twice yeah <laughs> But, but I'll do whatever. But, you know, I, I kind of, as time went on, I figured things out and it's like, okay, I'm going to go to Baghdad and, you know, get the latest intel and see what's going on. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Uh, going back to uh, N4, something that I've, I did that for a little while. I, I think that is, that is one of the worst jobs that is also <laughs> one of the best jobs. Like it's, it's so different than what we normally do yeah. that sometimes it's hard to like buy into it initially but it can produce so many good results for the team and you know uh, several things that you've said you know especially especially when you go over onto the officer side you you set something up and you are very unlikely to be the recipient of the benefit of that right but and i think in four <laughs> a lot of times is like that where i mean you're getting training areas or you're getting equipment or whatever it is, facilities um, for our teams or our units, even though you're not at that time on those teams and units and maybe you will, maybe you won't go to them. Um, but having that, that, that forward looking that, Hey, I don't need to just do stuff that benefits me. I need to do stuff that benefits the force. It's, Oh, there's so much reading involved in that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, man, because at the end of the day, and, and this is one of the things I learned, and it's just, it, I, I reflect on this all the time. At the end of the day, you, we're jockeying for dollars, right? We are making a justification to get dollars to support our manpower, training, and equipage, right? Man, train, equip, Title 10. And that's what we're fighting for. And, you know, when... When you submit a document and the response is, there's no money for that, <laughs> it's like bullshit. The Department of Defense, you know, $33 billion budget or whatever it is, or I mean, $133 billion. It's like, there's plenty of money for that. Yeah. <laughs> I just haven't 
made a good argument. Right. I haven't convinced you that I haven't justified our requirement. And so I got to go back and work on that again. And, you know, when I realized that that was the dynamic, you know, the other thing is you go and ask for something and the easy answer is no. Right. You come back a second time, they go, uh, didn't you already ask me once? You go, yeah, but you said no, but we really need this. You know, the third time is when you might start getting some attention. Yeah. And, you know, and so I uh, use that like in Milcon. So uh, after I retired and I went to work for R3, I was working Milcon for Indian Head. Um, they really, you know, um, what is now called, um, um, it, it was sexy. Uh, they were the sexy platoons deploying out of Indian Head. Now they're called... Uh, EXU? Yeah, EXU, yeah. Explosive uh, Clearance Unit 1. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or, I think that. Yeah. Or Exploitation. Exploitation, explosive. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, so. I should know that way sooner than I did. <laughs> Masterboard question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but uh, we were helping them get their facilities built, and as a contractor, I had all this knowledge, you know, because I did it uh, when I was in uniform. So BFR, right, Basic Facilities Requirement. It's a big, thick book, yeah. and it's got all your category codes, you know, if it's a training facility, drying cages, you know, all that stuff is in there, and how many square feet are required, and training ranges, and, you know, all that stuff. So, so what I learned on active duty, um, I was able to translate that into something that was useful for for the uh, the units up at Indian Head there as they were going through like really crazy growth, like yeah. explosive growth to the point to where their commission is a totally different unit. Yep. And and we also, again, as a contractor, we help kind of on the white collar side, you know, what does it look like? Who's their opcon? Who's their adcon? Where does their money come from? And and so, um, you know, we were able to participate in all that. And, and, and R3 is still, you know, uh, has a contract and is working with them. But I've, yeah. I've long since moved on to something else. Yeah. Although I love, I love, you know, the, another thing we can talk about is transition. And I think you're probably mm -hmm. going to get to that, yep. but you know, when you transition and you become a government contractor and you work for a contractor, that's like heavy EOD, heavy Navy EOD. It's not even like you really, I mean, you got out cause you're not wearing, you're not wearing the uniform and you don't have the handcuffs of, Oh, you got to do a chit to do a three day weekend, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, um, but it's, it, you know, it's security and your sense of your sense of self-worth because you're still contributing at a very high level to, you know, the thing that you did for the last 20 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's exactly <laughs> where I was going to go. Um, so after that, uh, that training unit tour that you're basically getting ready to transition out at that point, right? Yeah. Well, I came back from my rag. And then they made me air ops. Okay. So the way things were structured at the training unit back then, there was a department called N5. N5 was all things diving and all things airborne. Okay. So I had a master diver on my team, and uh, I had senior chief Chuck Hashik. So master diver ran the master diver. Uh, um, Neil, I can't remember his last name. PTS there it's a TBI but yeah. <laughs> anyway Wolf uh, master Di master diver Neil Wolf who ran all the diving stuff and then uh, senior chief Chuck Hashik who ran all the airborne and by this time I had learned my lesson that they got it yeah right <laughs> all I need to do is about twice a week say master chief is there anything I can do for you <laughs> you know and with nice. Chuck hey senior chief is there any what can I do you know um, so I, uh, yeah I fully learned that lesson and. <laughs> 
And, and that was an excellent tour, man. Cause again, Navy diving my roots mm-hmm. and had, we had a great dive locker at two, two. And, and, uh, most of those one Charlie guys went on to become master divers and, um, and you know, Chuck and OJ Ford, uh, Gary Smith, those guys ran air ops and we developed the PPT, yep. you know, starting with course training task list yeah. and all the things that go into building a formal curriculum and submitting them and getting them approved and getting them funded. So, um, it, so now really all my experience from, uh, instructor duty where, you know, I'm, I'm a curriculum developer. I got that qualification while I was there, you know, all these things that I learned along the way, I'm now aware of them. Not that I'm the executor of them, but I'm the enabler of it. You know, uh, senior chief Hasek says, Hey, Hey boss, we, I'm, I'm writing a course training task list. I need you to submit this to group. You know, it's like, cool, got it, you know, and, and, um, just ran through the whole thing and built a formal curriculum, which, which is now what we call PPT. Yeah. So looking at it and just kind of like hearing the different pieces in your career, it seems like things set you up to kind of be where you're at now, as far as, you know, uh, you had leadership that got you into, Hey, look at how businesses are actually ran and structured and, and the setup. And then there's a little bit of air ops in there here and there. Right. So it's a little bit of passion with a little bit of like, uh, you know, how to actually execute on something that you're interested in. Um, is that kind of a, a fair assessment that, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So when I was part of that N5, you know, diving in, in air ops on the air ops side of things, we would go to wind tunnels in different parts of the country and we'd go to Paraclete in North Carolina. We'd go to Eloy in Arizona. Um, I, uh, uh, a trip or two to um, Paris, uh, north of San Diego. Yep. And w- while we were there, I saw two things that just stuck with me. One is every other unit from Virginia Beach was at these same locations, right? So NSW2, um, the other guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, all the EOD teams, I mean, everybody was, was at these wind tunnels training. And then when we weren't training, well, I saw mom, dad, and the kids, right? I saw the civilian business aspect of the model. Yeah. And 18-year-olds uh, on a date and birthday parties and bachelor parties and um, the group events, the corporate group events. And for about two years, when we were either driving back to Virginia Beach or flying back to Virginia Beach, the discussion for half of that trip was, why isn't there one of these in Virginia Beach? Yeah. You know, and and I wasn't thinking about it really seriously back then. But, you know, it's like, oh, you know, Commander so-and-so from Damneck, you know, he's got the territorial rights or the city won't let you do it because it's too loud or it's too noisy. You know, um, there was just all this rumor and, yeah. and incorrect information. And <clears throat> so we were at a PPT. It was, I knew it was like, going to be one of my last. And, um, I called the manufacturer of the equipment. I fly, they're called sky venture, but just call it. I fly to keep it easy. And they said, you know, there's a lot of interest in Virginia beach. We're working with some other groups right now. And I, I knew that I knew there were other dudes trying to get this done, which yeah. is why I didn't, you know, think I had a, I had a chance really couldn't even spell the word business back yeah. then, you know? <laughs> and, um, but, um, they said, but if you want us to take your number, you know, you can get on the waiting list. I was like, cool, here's my number. Hung up the phone. 
didn't, didn't think about it again. Uh, so we go on that last PPT. We fly back. This is when I had my Motorola Razor flip phone, yeah. right? So, <laughs> so we fly back from Arizona, uh, get off the ramp of the C-130 at Oceana, open up my flip phone, turn it on, and it rings. And it's iFly calling me back yeah. going, hey, are you still interested? And I was like, holy shit, man. <laughs> and uh, I, I said, well, where am I on that waiting list? And they go, well, if you write us a check, you can be and you can be the first one on that waiting list. You can be in front of line. You know, you get head of line if you write us a check. I was like, well, how big does that check need to be? And they gave me the number and I was like, um, just go ahead and, you know, you go ahead and keep working with, you know, I don't think I'm going to make it to the front of the line there. But that got me thinking serious about it. What if, you know, and it's like, okay, I did all this cool shit in my military career stuff. I mean, I was not a stellar high school student, you know, and this is common with a lot of people who have been on this podcast. Yeah. Um, very athletic, most people, but not the best uh, students in high school or whatever. And, and I was not the best student in high school at all. But once I joined the Navy, became a Navy diver, then all the math is mission driven. Right. It's like I'm working on a decompression profile or a mix mixture of nitrogen and oxygen. So I'll solve for X. Yep. But when I'm sitting in a classroom, you know, solving for X and Y, because it's X and Y, like I can't wrap my head around that, Yeah. you know? Exactly. <laughs> so, so, um, so now it's like I did all the all these things in my military career, and the other thing that was obvious to me is somebody was going to do this in Virginia Beach one day. Yeah. There's been like five people who seriously tried to do it, or, or groups. Now I'm looking at it. Somebody was going to do this, mm-hmm. and I thought, man, I'm pretty well positioned being the air ops guy. I know the training requirement. I know the dollars that are spent. I know how much all the units are spending. You know what the what the requirements are. So I kind of packaged all that and went to some, went to an investor. I made a list of 10 investors. First one said no. Second one said no. Third one said, we're interested in this. Why don't you go look all this stuff up and come back? You know, and half the stuff they told me to look up, I didn't even know what it was. It's like (laughs) EBITDA. What's EBITDA? You know? But like any good Navy EOD tech, I just went and learned. Yeah. You know? It's no big deal. It's not rocket science. You know, business is simple math it's addition subtraction multiplication and division (laughs) so anyway um so i I put this thing together and you know that third investor he said yeah we're interested in this and um it's the breeding company in virginia beach and they build all kinds of big cool apartments and shopping centers and um tory breeden uh who back then was vice president of i can't remember what division in the company but he's a pilot he's a he's a base jumper and a skydiver and a wind tunnel flyer so he's and got an interest already. In that got kind of an interest stuff. and just needed to show him that the numbers work because yeah. he's a very savvy business person. And so I had to prove to them that the numbers were going to work. Right. And that took me a year. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a year. So from the day I got that phone call to the day uh, we committed fun- to the day I wrote that check yeah. you know, to get to the front of the line, that was literally a year. And what I, what I, kind of observed during that time frame is everybody else who tried to do this before me, the bottom line is you got to go find a lot of money. Yeah. And as career Navy people, we don't have a lot of money. True. Right. <laughs> so if you did your job the way you're supposed to do it. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I left all those dinars in Iraq. Yeah. It was a big, it was a big suitcase, but I left it all there. <laughs> um, 
but uh, uh, so I put this thing together over a period of time. And um, eventually they said, let's do it. Let's execute. So all these other people kind of gave up on the effort. And every time I had a meeting with the breeding company and I went back and looked up the things they told me to look up, I just felt like we were making progress. Yeah. And then, um, and then one day they said, uh, let's get it done. Nice. So, yeah. So that's, and that was, you know, I started that effort in 2009. And we opened our doors in 2015. Yeah. So it was six years of stick with it, right? Yeah. Most of these other people threw their hands up in the air after a year yep. or less or maybe a little more. Um, but for me, after a year, there was enough forward progress to where I was like, I'm going to stick with it. And and here's how. So Chuck Hasek, um, and, you know, rest in peace, Chuck, uh, was a very good friend of mine. And um, just a tragedy that, that we don't have him um, personally and professionally, you yeah. know. But Chuck was kind of helping me along the way and advising me, you know, here's some things you should think about, you know, here, if I was going to do it, here's how I would do it to make it way better than, you know, all these other places we go to. But I used to refer to this whole thing as a marathon and I've run a marathon, just one, but I've run one. (laughs) Um, And uh, ran it with Bill Van Diver. Yeah. And uh, who else? There's a bunch of us from the dive school. I did it when I was an instructor at dive school. You know, it's the only time in my life I had the, the, uh, the physicality yeah, to do right. it, you know, <laughs> but, um, but so doing, you know, this business concept, putting this business together was like running a marathon. And by that, I mean, when you start a marathon, you can't see the finish line. Right. You just have faith. You're like, I can do this, you know, at least I think I can. Yeah. And I think I can enough to where I'm going to try. And if I try, I'm going to try with every single freaking thing I have. Like if, if I can't get past mile 10, it's because I can't stand up anymore. Yeah. You know, I'm doing this and all in. And that's the thing is when you decide on something like that, man, you got to be all in. So I just bought a Ford F-150 um, um, Lightning. Yeah. EV, right? EV, battery vehicle. Dude, you got to be all in, right? <laughs> if you're going to do an electric vehicle, you got to be all in. I'm not trying to save the econ- or the uh, you know, the environment. Yeah. You know, I think that's a bunch of BS, but I do see and I have experienced great advantage of driving an electric vehicle. Yeah. You know, like 580 horsepower. Yeah. In a in a 7,000 pound pickup truck. I think it's quick. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, zero to 60 in four seconds. Like when the light turns green, if you want to, before you get through the intersection, you're doing 60. That's awesome. So anyway, that's a different subject, man. But anyway, so I just had confidence in getting this thing done. And um, so the marathon, I just use that as an example because you can't see the finish line until you're about to cross it. Yeah. And it was the same thing in developing this business plan and, you know, taking it from good idea to execution to opening. Um, you know, it's like, I think we're doing good. I think we're doing good. I think we're still on course. The finish line is up there somewhere. We're on course. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I feel pretty good. My to- toenails hurt a little bit. <laughs> but other than that, you know, I'm on course. I'm on course. I'm on course. And then one day it's like, holy shit. There's the finish line right there, yeah. you know? So, so that was, that was like something I thought about a lot during the process of developing the business. That, that's pretty cool. That's a, uh, it makes sense that there would be a lot of people that have an interest, but just aren't willing to do that long trudge work that, that it takes. And I, I feel like, you know, 
you, you probably had that in well before EOD that like going to EOD and doing a lot of these things. I was talking with uh, another guy how, you know, we would always say EOD is the foundation. I really think our foundations before we come in and then people with that type of foundation are just generally drawn to these kind of things where, you know, you, you go to dive school and, and you know, you're going to get beat and you just, you, you sit there and you know, you're like, Oh, this is terrible. And I don't know if I can do it, but I just have to keep doing it. And then you go to EOD school and it's that long process of going through the, the courses. And then, you know, just everything that we kind of go through just gives you that, like, okay, put your head down and do the work yeah, and then just trust the, the process. That's I, I'd have to agree with that. You know, in my book, um, when I, when I was, when I thought I was done writing it, I gave it to some people to review and give me feedback. And, and one guy who I trust a lot, Marty Strong, retired Navy SEAL, who's written two business books. He's writing his third and he's written nine novels. Awesome guy, CEO of a huge, huge operation. But he read my book. Uh, he read the transcript and he's like, okay, this is cool. He said, but everything starts when you were 18. Like, you know, you enlisted in the Navy and then, you know, so it's a good, it's a good leadership book and it's a good business book, but we don't know how Bob Pizzini became Bob Pizzini. Yeah. He said, so I recommend you, you know, spend some time writing about your upbringing. And, um, and, you know, I had bits and pieces here and there, but I didn't realize the importance of making that like, I, in my book, it's the introduction. It's like yeah. the first however many pages. Rather than renumber all the chapters, I just said introduction. Yeah. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, um, but in that, and I, I'll tell you what, I recommend everybody do this. So, you know, I, ha I called my mom. I called some of my old coaches and, and, I, and people I haven't seen since I left Kenosha, Wisconsin, you know, all those years ago. And I was like, remember this? Remember that? What was this about? What was that about? And... Um, it just helped me really understand how I became who I am because those childhood experiences, you know, w w you know, a lot, there's a lot of people talk about with TBI and PTSD, ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. Mm. There's those, but there's all the other things that are generally positive. You know, I remember my good coaches. I remember my coaches I didn't like for sure, but I definitely remember the good ones. Yeah. You know, and my teachers, and I remember the good ones, and I remember when Sister Henrika, you know, put the beat down on me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and although, you know, I didn't appreciate it at the time, I needed that, yeah. you know. <laughs> it was a character builder. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, um, so to your point, you know, we all, you know, Navy EOD, we, we had this thing in our childhood. We had this certain sense of adventure this curiosity, intellectual curiosity. I love that term. Somebody, I, I heard that term recently and I was like, oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we, uh, you know, so when guys who make, not everybody who applies, but people who make it through the schoolhouse and then go on and have, you know, fairly successful careers, we do have those traits in common. Yeah. Um, that actually lines up perfectly. So when did you start thinking about writing the book? Yeah. So you... <laughs> So you know me, if you or if you haven't gathered this by now, there's a long answer to everything. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got like four more hours to go, right? Excellent. So <laughs> got all day. Yeah. So is that beer over there? <laughs> um, so at iFly, everything everything is like a stepping stone for the next thing, right? So when we built iFly, me and my partner went and visited like ten wind tunnels around the country. We even went to Germany. That's another story how we almost got arrested in Germany. <laughs> um, but a 
female German police officer with an H and K. Yeah. You know, direct tapping it on the window, directing <laughs> directing you to roll down the window and shut the car off. In this case, there was a certain appeal to that. Yeah. <laughs> So she was young, you know, she was blonde. It's like, yes, is that an H&K? <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, but we went to all these different wind tunnels uh, because we were going to custom design our facility and we were going to make it, it, it custom design it, number one, to be a super high-end experience because you pay a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so when you walk through the front door, you got to go, wow, this place is this place is big and beautiful. Yeah. And then after you paid all your money and you leave, you go, that was awesome. That was worth it. And I didn't know any of this at the time, but my partner did, you know, facility design is critical to customer engagement, customer satisfaction, customers coming back. Mm -hmm. So in, within that, we designed a conference room. Have you been uh, to, on the third floor at iFly? Uh, no, no, not. I, I've been in the, no, I haven't been up to the conference okay, room area. Okay, mm -hmm. so you know, first deck is reception and retail. Second floor is the flight deck, and then the third floor is admin space. And we built this big, beautiful conference room that overlooks the ocean front. And we did that for corporate events. Okay. So host your corporate event. You know, host your corporate offsite. Host your uh, employee appreciation, customer appreciation, team building, whatever it was. Host your event here. And so we we had and still have very a very good business model with corporations whether it's their you know their christmas party or you know whatever they, yeah. so we do all these corporate events all the time and it's a lot of fun and every now and then they would ask us can you can you arrange a coach you know or somebody to talk to us about leadership or communication or you know uh team building team structure you know things like that and every now and then, so we would, we would go out and get these like John Maxwell or some of these other certified, you know, coaches and speakers and all that. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. I've, I've met some really great friends through that process, but every now and then they would ask me to sit in on the presentations or the discussions. And like any Navy EOD technician, I would listen to the presentation, like on leadership, for example, and I would go, I can do a better job than that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so... So, and at the same time, I was looking for leadership development for my team. So I have 40 employees and six people, seven, including myself, seven people on the management team, on the, what I call the leadership team, right? And I was looking for leadership development for my team. And we did Franklin uh, Covey and we did Dale Carnegie and we did these things that are locally available and they were good, but they weren't what you and I grew up with yeah. in leadership development, you know, and just to briefly summarize it, you know, in the military, they train us to be a leader, they put us in a leadership position, and then they say, now go out there and lead, knowing we're going to fail. And right. when we fail, you know, whoever that is, where it's the LPO or the LCPO or the whoever, when we fail, they pick you up, they dust you off, and they say, now get out there and do it again. Mm -hmm. And that's what was missing in the private sector as far as I'm concerned. So I just couldn't find the development. You know, I, I had people on my leadership team who were, were afraid to do things because they were afraid if they messed it up, they were going to get fired or I was going to otherwise react negatively. Yeah. And that's just not my style of leadership. You know, that's not what I learned in the military. What I learned in the military is that's your teammate. You pick them up, you dust them off, you know, give them a little pat on the butt and say, now get out there and do it again. Yeah. And let me know what I can do to help, you know? Yep. 
And uh, so, so I put this course together for my team, and they loved it. And they were like, where has that been? You know, and then uh, my general manager, Jason Laverius, he's a former Navy SEAL, uh, got out as a as a lieutenant commander. He's like, Bob, man, let's let's grow this. Let's get big with this. You're on to something here. So that led to a one day experience at iFly. So I built out this whole curriculum. You know, we talk about leadership throughout the day and it's very interactive. Yeah, we you know, I'll throw out a concept. I'll throw out my experience with the concept and I'll say, you know, no, what's your experience with this? Or, you know, you, you tell us a C story. And, um, and that process evolved and I enjoyed doing it. It was like a new thing, you know, cause I'm, I fly, I got, my team runs, I fly. I mean, you know, they, they, uh, they don't need me around. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So they, they know what they're doing. I have an incredible team, but, um, so I created this, course uh, this one day course and you know the key to it was the flight experience i had this thing this wind tunnel where i could bring in corporate teams and for their team building thing they fly and then we go up in the conference room and you know have these um these uh very focused leadership discussions and that was going this is pre-covid it was going very well Actually had some guys from uh, from the group come out at the time and participate, and they're like, "Man, this is awesome!" And you know, we're going to try and bring this back to the uh, the EOD leadership pipeline. And then COVID hit. Yeah. So now I can't even have people in the building. Yeah. Right. So so um, so I had to pivot. So I started this online thing, you know, which was everybody was doing, and Zoom was exploding. And um, <clears throat> anyway, during all that. I thought, and I was told because I, I belong to this mastermind group called the C-Suite Network, and there's people who have written books and teach courses, and they speak, and they coach, and they do all that. And they're, they're telling me, you know, how they put everything together and how they're successful. And they said, you know, you should really write a book. So a book can be a glorified calling card if, if you want to do that. Um, and, and so I wrote the book partially with that in mind but also i mean i want it to be a it is an amazon number one bestseller yeah. i don't mean to chest thump um but but it's not a new york times number one bestseller yeah. right and it probably i'm sure it never will be but um but the process of writing i learned a lot but i wrote the book to take all my spin on leadership which i think is different than all the other stuff out there because my my summary on leadership is it's like the math i just described Leadership is not a complex undertaking. It's not algebra. It's yeah. not calculus. But it's, that doesn't mean it's easy because you're right. dealing with human beings yep. who have lives. And in their lives, they have parents who are in failing health, a kid who might have an addiction or a mental health problem or struggling in high school, a dog that needs to go to the vet, a car that needs to go to the shop. All that stuff is real. Right. And um, in the private sector... They don't pay enough attention to that as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I had people who wouldn't, like, be big and bold and audacious because they thought if they screwed it up, I was going to fire them. Mm-hmm. When in reality is if you screw it up, I'm going to be right next to you and help you and lift you up and, and hey, let's go do this together. Don't, yeah. don't be afraid. You know, you've got teammates here and we're all in this together. Uh, and, and that's all prefaced on moral and ethical character. Mm-hmm. If people have good moral and ethical character – 
uh, and you own, you, when you jack something up, you own it, mm-hmm. we're, we're good to go. Absolutely. You know, that's how I survived that ordeal in Panama City yeah. um, is I screwed something up, but the CEO realized ultimately that I had good moral and ethical character and I was a go-getter and he put me on a path for recovery. Yeah. So, so I don't know if that answers why I wrote the book, Yeah. but that's why I wrote it. And um, it's called Elevate Your Leadership, available on Amazon. <laughs> But hey, but if you're if you're a Navy EOD team guy, uh, come down to iFly and I'll give you a signed copy at no cost at all. Nice. So, yeah, at least I can do uh, to kind of pay back uh, to the community uh, what's been given to me. So um, um, you can get it on Amazon. Either way, please leave a review on Amazon. If you think it sucked, say that. <laughs> you know, I don't care. <laughs> But, um, but so that's, that's kind of how that book came to be. And like anything we do, it's like, now that it's been out for about six months, it's like, oh man, I could have done a better job on that thing, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like even the title, I'm thinking that I should have called, I should have called it a memoir or I should have called it, you know, I should have called it something else, Yeah, but, but it's cool. Sales are good. You know, I, we did the billboard thing up in New York, the NASDAQ billboard is pretty cool. That, that was, is legit. Oh, that was fun, man. That was so fun. Even though uh, the million people in Times Square when that ran, nobody gave a shit. Yeah. You know, <laughs> people didn't stop and go, oh, man, there's an EOD badge up on the billboard, you know? So, yeah, yeah. time didn't stop. Nobody gave a shit. But <laughs> but, um, but my my publisher, you know, that if when you hit Amazon number one and you hit some other metrics, then that becomes available, and it's pretty cool. That's awesome. So Yeah, I think, uh, I think there's when it comes to leadership, like you're talking about, um, having, having people that are willing to do something that may seem a little bit risky if it's in line with what the goal is. The mission. Like, yeah. yeah, it's, it's when somebody's like completely out of left field that you're like, all right, buddy, like now we need to talk. But man, if you're, if you're in the military meeting the intent, yeah, you know, and, and something goes awry. Okay. Well, let's figure out maybe it went awry because it's just something small that we can fix and then put it back on track. But yeah, having, having people that are willing to do that, it, if you don't, it's going to be incremental. If the, if any growth, otherwise like how, man, you have to be able to risk just like you did be able to risk what six years of your, your of your life, essentially trying yeah. to develop uh, can we get this done? It looks like we can, you know, just yeah. year after year after year, just making the, making the things moving, you know, footsteps at a time, maybe meters at a time. Exactly. But if you're not willing maybe to inches do that, at a time sometimes, yeah, yeah. It, it sounded like there was a lot of people who weren't willing to do that. And yeah. man, looking at, at where the business is now, but they're like, yeah. oh, if I would adjust. <laughs> well, I've had a couple people reach out and say just that, Really? you know, they're like, you know, we tried to do that, and but the group of guys I was with, I wanted to keep going, but they didn't. Yeah. And um, like I said, somebody was going to do this in Virginia Beach one day. Yeah. And, and we are, you know, a little chest thumping here. Okay, so we are, there's about 35 iFlies across the U.S., and we are consistently in the top four. Um, in terms of gross gross revenue, and That's awesome. and often we are the number one tunnel in terms of gross revenue on an annual basis. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and and again the team, you know, and the training that we do with all the different units. I mean, that's just uh, that was the that was the foundation of the business plan yeah. was all the training that we do, and um, just the relationship, you know, and and for me it's such an honor and such a privilege to have all the all the operators, if you will, 
uh, in the building yeah. almost every single day. And then, um, and we, we give back. So through, it's awesome, through NSOF, you know, we do one day a year where uh, it doesn't cost the family anything. And um, it's a donation to NSOF. And, you know, you bring active duty, retired, former, you know, yeah. just got out, veteran, um, come in with your family and fly with us. And we do it through uh, Navy SEAL Foundation as well. Yeah. Yeah, I actually want to, um, <clears throat> you know, with with the business and through the business, it, it's it seems like it's enabled you to, to give back specifically through NSOF and then other ways too. Um, you know, it, quite a bit. I mean, it seems like you're you're involved quite a bit in as many ways as you can. Yeah, too many ways, really. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, like I said, I just get involved in too many things. But yeah. one of the cool things we do, it's called SeaTac Soars. So there's a school four miles uh, down General Booth Boulevard called SeaTac Elementary. And um, we have a 13-week youth league program. So if you want your kid to come and learn how to fly over 13 weeks, it costs you $1,000. And so we have youth league. Well, we donate youth league to 12 fifth graders um, at SeaTac Elementary. And these kids, the school has got all the resources it's, it, they need. It's a Title I school, Achievable Dream Academy. These kids face challenges in their neighborhoods and in their homes. Yeah. And uh, so we created a program where every Thursday at 3.30, the school bus drops 12 of these kids off, and we have them from 3.30 till 6.30. We feed them, we fly them, and we have somebody talk to them about something interesting. You know, I coach hockey, um, high school ice hockey, so I talk to these fifth-grade inner-city kids about ice hockey. Yeah. You know, and it's just a lot of fun. But that's one give back. The other thing is I'm real active with the Chamber of Commerce, and what I've discovered... You know, when you leave, when you retire, and you'll discover this one day, when you retire, you go, I know they're going to call me back, man. <laughs> Navy EOD can't live without me. The phone's going to ring. They're like, Bob, you know, will you come back? Right? And that never happened. <laughs> and it doesn't happen. It doesn't yeah. happen for anybody. Actually, I know one guy that it happened to. Yeah. But um, so, you know, that sense of belonging and that real, that real, uh, that real tight knit community that you belong to, it's kind of gone. I mean, yeah. not, not totally gone, but it's kind of gone. So the chamber of commerce for me has really replaced that because okay. the chamber of commerce and the Hampton roads is one of the biggest, most active, most successful chambers of commerce in, in the country. And it's led by a retired army colonel, army colonel ranger, former ranger. Oh, yeah? So the fact that he's leading this thing makes, makes it easy for me to get in line, yeah. you know, and, but my point is the chamber has kind of, you know, filled the void that was left okay. when I left active duty, right? It's another community, something I can be involved with. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's all voluntary, but we sit on highly influential boards and we have a highly inf influential voice in and around the business community. And there's, there's a political component to it or what we call governmental affairs. And mm -hmm. we want Richmond to pass laws that are favorable for businesses to succeed. Yeah. Uh, you know, minimum wage is one, right to work state is another. So, uh, you, you know, yeah, so you get involved in all these things because uh, it's cool and because maybe we're making a difference, maybe we're helping out. And um, and that's my obligation. You know, I've, I've been lucky and fortunate and, and I've got a sense of duty to pay it back, uh, pay it forward or pay it back and, yeah. and do whatever I can there. That's awesome. I, I was actually going to bring that up because I noticed, um, you know, I... I I follow you on a couple of social media things, um, <laughs> yeah. and I do notice that that 
you're involved in a lot of, of stuff with, uh, with the chamber of commerce and whatnot. Um, and I, it's, it's funny. I actually, I wondered why, but one of the, you know, you always presuppose, right. Um, <laughs> the reason why I actually, I didn't even think about the fact that, yeah, as you get involved in business and as you, you know, start working towards goals that you want to be, you know, favorable towards, but that that also would be a community that of like-minded people generally, right? Probably. Exactly. I'm, I'm sure, you know, that things that won't make it on um, Instagram or Facebook posts yeah. would be the arguments that you guys probably do have. Sure. But then come to a, a okay, here's where we're going to go. Like, this is what yeah. the end result, you know, from all the discussions. And now we're going to push out towards the result, which is exactly what we did and do in in Navy EOD. Yeah, yeah. Not every conversation has everybody. On exactly. Back, right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, I, you know, I, I mentioned this in the book too, but I call that dynamic tension. Yeah. Right. And I think it's the most beautiful way to describe it. And Mark Sanders, again, who is like my mentor in life, um, you know, in uniform and out of uniform, but he introduced me to that term a long time ago, dynamic tension. Like yeah. we can disagree with each other, you know, uh, but don't be, belittling and insulting and right. you know disagree with somebody's concept but but don't get personal about it you know exactly. and, and at the end of the day dynamic tension is good yes you know it yeah. gets you to where you need to go and then um what was the other thing i was going to mention there um ah, i lost it <laughs> happens to me all the time <laughs> <laughs> um oh man now i'm thinking about how you lost it i had i had something yeah. and i lost it yeah 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 <laughs> no uh you know, I, I appreciate um, coming on and talking about all that. And, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll go back to uh, just, just I fly. You know, I've, I've been there several times through work. But then also, uh, not long after I came here, so my, my brother actually lives in Wisconsin, oh, his family. Fellow um, Cheddarhead. Yeah. Hey there, ho there. <laughs> he went to college out there and then just never came back. It's beautiful um, there, man, especially in the summer. It is. I, I went a couple years ago. Um, I went in October duck hunting up there. Oh, and nice. I'd actually, it's funny, I bought, I bought my shotgun that was meant to go duck hunting six years before I actually went because <laughs> I bought the shotgun and then it turns out I had my first son in September and I was like, well, it's probably not good to leave right after you have yeah. a, a kid, you know, and I'm already gone all the time anyways. But, um, finally went up there, did that. But, um, just after I moved here, they go every, um, uh, man, whatever holiday where you get a week off spring break. Okay. Um, every okay. spring break, they go to a different new spot. And since we had just moved to Virginia beach, they decided to come down to Virginia beach the, the next year. And, uh, took all the, the family over there and went, went That's flying cool. and man, they, they had a great time. Oh, good. Was, it was cool. Cause I, I love it. I, I yeah. love getting in the tunnel and, you know, doing it and then having them come in and a little bit of like fears, you know, here exactly. and there. Um, but, getting in there and just absolutely loving it. Like it's, it, it is, it's, it's a perfect setup for, you know, exactly what you built it for, which. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And that actually, uh, back to the, you know, elevate your leadership and all that. So we, with the company or the group, whatever, we'll fly first thing in the morning and it's that it's, you face the fear, right? You face yeah. the anxiety, right? Okay. Three-year-olds do this, so I'm not going to die, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's sure I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, I've got anxiety. You know, so whether it's the 55-year-old 
female office worker or, you know, whatever their coworkers are, yeah. we, we get them in there. And, and, you know, Tony Robbins has people walk across hot coals, yeah. you know, as part of what he does, you know, saying, I, I'm not going to do that myself, yeah. <laughs> but, and we have people fly, you know, but the, the net effect is the same, you know, mm-hmm. you do something challenging and you feel better after you did it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, no, I appreciate you, you coming on and, and you know, awesome. talking about everything. Um, you know, I, I, I actually, I felt like an idiot this morning cause I, I have your book. <laughs> I, I've read almost all of it, but I was down at a, uh, a conference and, uh, things got intense during the day. Yeah. And so I had to spend more time doing things, countering somebody else's okay. agenda, right. but, um, doing your job. Doing your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, that pesky thing that gets in the way of the things I want to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> Damn um, job. But no, it's, it's awesome. And it, it's great to, you know, see people from the, the Navy EOD community like yourself, like putting some things out there, giving their experiences, but then relating things and how it all ties together. That's, I, I think, I think it's, it's going to sound weird, but it's about time, you know, because <laughs> um, we, we have such a, such an awesome community of, of people that have such a, For a sure. broad range of experiences beforehand while they're in and then do all these crazy things afterwards, you know, and, um, getting those stories out there is, is awesome. And, you know, your, your, your book is another way that that kind of gets out there and yeah. puts that in. So I, I think that's great. Yeah. It's, it's awesome, man. It's been, it, it's been, it continues to be, you know, a lot of fun, a lot of discovery, a lot of, a lot of failure, you know, yeah. a lot of disappointment. Not everything goes right. I, I've tried a couple things since I fly that didn't go well, you know, <laughs> And, uh, and I've got some other things on the horizon that, um, that if I pursue, I'm sure, uh, you and everybody else will, will become aware of Nice. and, and I will reach out to the community and say, can I have your support? So I like so, it. Yeah. I like the vagueness too. <laughs> Elon, look out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, not really. That was stupid to say. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. Um, is there anything anything that you want to kind of leave as like a, a, a parting thought, a word to whether it's, you know, specifically the EOD community or just yeah. anyone. Should yeah. I, I'd say a couple things there. One is um, if anybody wants to come in and talk to me and I'll just share my experience and what I did, which I pretty much did here. But, you know, I, I get people who contact me all the time, not just EOD, but, you know, just a lot of, a lot of military people getting out, mm-hmm. Um, and like the honor foundation, you know, I'm a coach mentor with them. And, um, but if anybody wants to just come and talk, you know, and Hey, here's what I did, you know, maybe that'll work for you. Maybe it won't, but, um, but I'm happy to help people pursue entrepreneurial endeavors or, or whatever else it is. So that's one thing, you know, and, um, the other thing is, uh, if you have family in town, give me a call and, uh, you'll fly as my guest, you know, EOD, if you got family in town, whatever, just give me a call and we'll just make that happen. Um, although I do appreciate, uh, you know, I've made that offer to a lot of guys before and they're like, no, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so, but either way, it's all good. Um, and then, uh, you know, the other thing is, uh, it, it kind of goes back to what I've heard on all the previous episodes of your podcast is, you know, we're all a bunch of knuckleheads, right? We have good days and we have days that are not so good. And same thing with the people that we work with. You know, they have good days and they have days that are not so good. But we're all human at the end of the day. You know, we got these chemicals that dump into our brain and tell us to do this or that or the other thing. And the more we know about that, 
uh, the better we can control ourselves. Therefore, the better we can help others. Yeah. Um, and, and I know it's a mixed message to a very simple question. <laughs> uh, but the other thing is, like, I went to um, the Marcus Institute for Brain Health about three years ago okay. uh, through the boot campaign. They funded it, the boot campaign. And since then, all, a bunch of you, you guys have gone. And, and there's all these programs out there for veterans in particular. Uh, you know, the Marcus Institute was, is like, it's NICO. It's the same guy, the same doctor who put NICO together, and it's NICO for for uh, retirees or for veterans. Gotcha. So there's all these programs out there, and I've taken advantage of a lot of them. And, um, and I, I just feel like I've benefited so much from all these things. And, and VETS is next on my list, if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a great organization and, and they've got a pretty interesting program. VETS, I would just say, Google it. I won't get into their, what they do, but, okay. but again, f- especially for the retired community, there's so much out there. Um, I love, even though I haven't been to the EOD breakfast, I love the fact that we're doing that. Yeah. Um, I just got on the, uh, I just got on the mailing list, you know, oh, yeah. the distro <laughs> recently, Nice. but stuff like that. Man, hang out with the, the brotherhood doesn't end when you retire. The, for me, the brotherhood never ends, and it really shouldn't for anybody. Yeah. Um, and then there's struggle, and unfortunately, there's people taking their lives. And um, man, we just need to stay. We just need to stay as tightly connected as we can throughout our lives. You know, Larry Ronan, ninety years old. Yeah. Man, I I love I, I love when I get a chance to chat with that guy. Yeah. So. So the advice there is, um, you know, it's long live the brotherhood. Yeah. But long live the brotherhood. I mean, you know, those words have meaning. Um, and, uh, and so take that to heart and, you know, be there, be there for our teammates. I'm going to call on people for help. You know, there's no doubt about that. So just, just be there for your teammates. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. Good, uh, good, solid advice. <laughs> All right, we'll uh, we'll keep keep uh, keep in touch and uh, and uh, I I don't know I I enjoy I enjoy these I enjoy sitting down and um, like I just enjoy it. Yeah, Appreciate no, it. it's good. You're doing. Thank you for doing this, man. You're doing a great job. I've got my own podcast, and yeah. it's all things leadership. But I like your format. You know, you just kind of let it go, yeah. and um, and. Like I said, from the very first one, I've listened all the way through. Bill Nesbitt, who I've never met personally, I don't think. Bill, I'm sorry if we have, and I don't remember. Uh, but I've been kicked in the head a couple times. Um, but that guy's career is almost a carbon copy of most of mine. I mean, it, the way he describes boot camp and when he went and all that stuff, it's like we must have been like one company apart from each other. Really? You know, and then, you know, he did MCM, I did MCM, and, and it's, man, I just I love everything about the podcast. Yeah. I really appreciate it. All right. All right, man. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Echo Oscar Delta podcast, where we talk to Navy EOD techs and hear the stories that they want to share.